I'm going to pray so I don't say too many stupid things. He's the Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. All right. Good morning, Father. I do really pray that you get me out of the way that your truths would be lifted up, that uh, your saints would understand and obey so that you would receive the glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, just so you know, um, this particular sermon series, um, they go online. So if you, if you go to your whatever you listen to for your podcast or your music and you type in there, all these sermons are up there and you can download them and hear them. I'm telling you that because we're wrapping up or, or, uh, a sermon series on a whole bunch of topics that actually kind of began last time you were here. So we're actually at the wrapping this up. So we are making progress on that. And... Uh, the, the topic's been covering several things, but before we do that, um, the reason Christians study the Bible is so one is so that God can take our stupid ideas out of our head and put the truth in our head. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses us, and that's what it means by this verse in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? You know, in, on, online where folks are connected, you, everyone's given opinions. But the only opinion that doesn't seem to matter is God's opinion. And matter of fact, in God's opinion is law. In that sense, what God says is the right. And so we want to make sure when we're building up our place and our opinions, we're going to the lawgiver, God. All right? And that's why we're studying the scriptures. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been building on a series that has been based on um, some confrontation, some. Uh, some issues that are going on about what to do with Syrian refugees and what does it look like for Christians to love their neighbor? Can Christians carry a weapon? Right? What does all this look like? And what, what is it supposed to look like for a Christian in America? And local ministers, that's our job to say, what does it look like for Christians to live in America? In the past few weeks, we've discussed things like justice is good. All right? Now, we sang a song today called, Your Grace is Enough. Now, grace, of course, some of you have heard this many times, it bears repeating. You can't define grace or mercy unless you know what justice is. Justice is what God ought to give us. Right? He deserves to give us. So if you ever want justice, be very careful, because justice begins with us. God is obligated to give us justice. He is not obligated to give us mercy or grace. Mercy is defined of God giving us what we don't deserve. It's all based on what we deserve, which is justice. And I want to make sure that doesn't sneak by 
of, of our understanding of things. So justice is good. And then trusting and obeying God. You can't trust and obey God if you don't know what He says in the Bible. If you're not reading a Bible, you are not trusting and obeying God. And if I'm the only person in town to tell you that, I'm okay with that because I don't want you to be lied to. If you don't know what the Scripture says, you can't obey God, can you? Now, part of, if you trust and obey God, if you're studying the scriptures, one thing is for sure, God calls everyone to be responsible. Now, that means individually responsible, and that covers everything about you. Everything from where you get your food, your clothing, your housing, your money, housing, your money, all that stuff, you are individually responsible for getting Right, And there's a whole topic on that, whole sermon on where Jesus says, don't worry, but he doesn't say don't work. As a matter of fact, Scripture is very specific on that. Then a sermon that really um, we, we went after was suffering for Jesus because there was a sermon that I picked on a few weeks ago and I'm going to mention today again, not picking on it, but praising it, where... Um, John Piper said, it's good to suffer for Christ. And of course it is. But we want to know the difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering for being dumb. Alright? Or suffering because we're battling an ailment. That's not suffering for Jesus. Suffering for Jesus is when you do like one of these five things on the side of your bulletin. You are out worshiping or you are out discipling or you are out evangelizing and somebody didn't like it and they went after you. That's suffering for Jesus. Or you went to church this morning and somebody gave you grief about it. That's suffering for Jesus. All right? But if you're out and you're just being rude and somebody gets you on it, that's not suffering for Jesus. That's suffering because we're in a sin-cursed world. So we're unpacking this. Today's topic, we're going to land in this. We're going to finally put this brick in the bricks of truth here, is self-defense. Where does that come into this? The biggest hook, and we unpacked this last week, and I felt I did a terrible job unpacking the idea of... Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here's where I failed. And so today I'm not going to fail, by the grace of God. We're going to dive back into this and make sure it's done correctly. So here we go. Jesus says, this is Matthew 5, 38, moving on. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? And we're going to dive right into this. So if you do have a Bible or if you have a Bible on your iPhone and it's working because of the new cell tower, go ahead and use it. Use a Bible, a print books. They still make them out of paper. The rumor has it. Okay? Now this topic, this is, you know, the people get this confused. They think this is an issue of revenge. Right? And we don't want revenge. And there, that's why I had to talk a few weeks ago about justice is good. Because what we're talking about here is an issue of justice. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is people are using this justice quote to get revenge. They're angry. They were unjustly treated and they want to get revenge on their own. And so Jesus is up in the game to what it looks like to love. What does it look like to love your neighbor? So civil justice examples of neighborly disputes. Things that make us say, well, that's not... Fair. I can't believe they did that. I want to get them. Right? That's bad. But 
Now let's move on to Jesus and what he says here, Matthew 5, 39-42. But I say to you, this is Jesus, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. All right. Now, this is the controversial text that if you were to read John Piper's sermon or hear it, because it's a video, you can see it, um, it gets the idea that Christians are supposed to just put their arms down and walk out there and people can just abuse you for anything at any time for any reason whatsoever. Carte blank, right? Carte blanche. Just that's it. And that's not the context of this in its entirety, because we just showed you it was an issue of civil justice. From You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, let's apply this to home. Does this mean do not resist an evil person? Two in the morning, you hear your window break in your house, and you got men, you got wife and kids there. Does that mean just go out there and say, I can't resist you? Does it mean that? By all means, no. Right? And that's what I want to get at here is there's a difference between suffering for Jesus and suffering for being dumb. And that's the point I want to distinguish. This is an issue of civil justices. So your neighbor breaks your fence, right, and puts a load of wood there and says, squatters' rights! You know, now it's like, hey, now you, know, now you want to go slap them, Right? Now, this is the issues that Jesus is talking about. Let me unpack why. As that tries to reconnect, do not resist an evil one. Slap. Let's look at the definitions. Does it say someone who, hold, someone who threatens your family? Does it say um, when uh, armed force is coming into your nation? Does it say anything about true violence? People out to get you. People out to blow themselves up with you at the mall. Does it say anything about that? It's talking about slapping and slapping. You remember the French cartoons? The cartoons are like, I challenge you to a duel! Right? That's the type of slapping we're talking about here. Slapping, stealing, forcing to go a mile, right? People tricking them. Uh, Man, I want to give examples of folks I know, uh, uh, salespeople, I would say, stealing, uh, forcing to go a mile, begging. Remember, what's the most popular job in, in, in uh, Winchester at the corners? Those 20-something, 30-something-year-old guys standing there with a sign for hours? It's like clearly they're physically able to go get a job, but they're standing there, and what are they asking for? Money. Money. Right? These are not examples of life-threatening situations. These are examples of unfair or unjust experiences we have with our neighbors. And that's the point I want to get to. Is that's, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you know, the argument with the Syrian refugees is just let them all in because we love Jesus. Well, if we love Jesus, that's the last thing we would be doing because of the threat to our neighbors, the threat to our wives. We're not even loving them, those refugees, if we're just letting them in without helping them prepare for society and what it looks like and how we can help them, right? Now, I'm going to bring this home, but I want to get the big ideas out first. What about life-threatening situations, breaking and entering, hurting your neighbor? Because don't resist the evil person, right? Right? 
Well, we have this weird saying in Exodus chapter 22, 2 through 3, where justice for a thief, not a murderer or a rapist. Let's unpack this. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. If you remember, one of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. It doesn't say don't kill. It says don't murder. The issue is an issue of justice which is good, all right? And as, and he struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. Which means, let's stop right there before I unpack the rest of this. That means if someone's breaking your house in the middle of the night, you don't know what their intentions are. You defend, you know, back then that might have been a sword, okay? You keep the sword in the closet for in the spear when you go hunting, Right? And then someone's breaking in. Honey, I hear something. Go check it out. Right? The guy grabs a sword or a spear. He goes out. Someone's breaking in. Uh, I can't see. The lights aren't on. I'm not going to take 10 minutes to light my oil lamp. Right? Person dies. There's no blood guilt. It means they're not guilty of murder, even though the guy was just coming in to steal because it's justice for a thief. If a thief is found breaking in and dies... Okay, but if the sun rises on him, there will be blood guilt. So if you're at home and you see someone breaking in your house, you can see that they really got no weapon. The kids aren't there. They're at school. There's no, you know, there's someone coming to steal. You can stop them, but you know what they're saying here is if you kill them and it's evident, evident, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, it's not a life-threatening situation. You know, then you're guilty or could be guilty. Now. And then it goes back to the thief. The thief will surely pay if he's caught. And if he has nothing, then he'll be sold for his theft. Okay, back then, you would be sold into slavery, kind of like forced labor, until you paid it off. But there's a distinction here between um, self-defense that's guilty and not guilty. Okay, and that's what I want to point out here. Now, I think I said enough on that. Why am I saying this? Now, the Westminster Catechism uses this term, general equity. Last week, we talked about the Old Testament law. There's three parts in the Old Testament law. The civil, the moral, and the ceremonial. I'm giving you lots of information. Hold on there, folks. The, the civil law is something that stayed with Israel and is no, no longer necessary for us. The moral code, the Ten Commandments, is what we're supposed to stick with. Okay, keeping it simple. The idea of general equity means that um, what is the clear command God has given us? In other words, what's the big idea of it? Okay, command of God for men to love for their wife and their family. So if someone's breaking into the house, you have a command from God, men, to protect that family. You don't know the intentions of that individual coming. You don't know. And swaying there with a broom is not a good way to protect your wife and kids. Because if it's not a thief, and he can overcome you and your broom, or you and your baseball bat, or your golf club, right? And then he can do damage, he can hurt your wife and children, and then he can do it to your neighbor. Because you are ill-equipped to truly provide and protect That's not suffering for Jesus. That's suffering because you're foolish. And I want to distinguish them. We have a clear command of Jesus. When Jesus gives a command, is it optional for us? 
If Jesus commands something to you, do you get to go, hmm, let me think about it. Nah. Do Christians get to do that when Jesus gives a command? So Ephesians 5, 25-27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now behind this screen is a big cross, and when... God tells man to love their spouses as God loved, as Jesus loved the church. Jesus died for the church. All our stupid mistakes, all our evilness, Jesus took it and died with it to protect and to bring up this church in sanctification. It is the highest calling of man. All right? That's a big calling. As a matter of fact, I'm sorry. I've got to repent of that. This is not a calling. This is not optional. This is a command. Ephesians 5, 28-30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay? So there's the command. So, I'm, gonna, I'm wrapping this up here. I, I thank you for holding on. Lots of scripture to talk about. We're almost done. The Bible doesn't say anywhere you can't own a weapon. Alright? Of any kind. Obviously, they didn't have guns back then. But, Jesus commands. Now, Jesus is in the upper room. This is the Last Supper. Right? This is communion. And this is what Jesus informs his disciples in Luke 22. He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. Then Jesus said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he who has numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here's two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. I just want to unpack pack this very quickly. Jesus is saying, listen, so far you've been able to live for Jesus and you haven't had a problem. You haven't had an inconvenience really. Now I'm getting ready to go to the cross and die. Jesus just spent the whole week kicking the bee's nest and they want to kill him. That very night, they're going to take Jesus and kill him. They're going to, you know, the, the trial, the whole fake trial and everything. This is going right to the cross from here. So now he's saying that the easy stuff's over. Now he's saying, get yourselves ready. Be prepared, Christians, is what he's saying here. Make sure you've got money. Make sure you're prepared. Right? If you don't have a weapon, at least get a weapon. Not for war. You know, when they said, you know, the disciples, I can see them big doughy-eyed, almost get a grunt in their eyes. Yeah, Jesus, look, I got a sword. Bought at Walmart. Got one. Right? Jesus says, that's enough. I think he was more like saying, no, you're missing the point. I didn't think, yeah, two swords is enough. Check. I don't think that's what he meant. But his overall idea is the easy time is over. Get ready. 
All right? Well, get ready for what is the question. Well, let's think of a missions trip for a second. I think we have a sign that says you are now entering the missions field when you leave this church. Have any of you been on missions trips? Yeah, a couple of us have. What usually happens before a missions trip, you figure out what country you're going to, obviously, and then you learn about the culture. You learn, the ladies, it's always like, well, should you wear skirts? Can you wear pants for the guys, you know, dress or what not to say? Right? Should you wear a hat? Should you not wear a hat? You don't want to be offensive to the culture that you're going to to represent God. Okay? Christians don't want to be perceived in doing something sinful. Like, there was, when I went to Honduras for a missions trip, there was a commercial in the States going where the funny saying was, Que pasa? I don't know if anyone remembers that commercial. So down there, it was all Spanish in Honduras, so I'm going, que pasa? And they're like, don't do that. Because that's like a, a gangster coming up to you and saying, what's up? What's your problem? And that was it's what it meant. And they're telling me, you know, <laughs> that doesn't go over well. And people were giving me strange looks, so I appreciated them telling me. <laughs> so in America... We have this command of God. This is for every Christian. Romans 13, 1-5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. For have you, have you no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subject. In, Subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but for the sake of conscience. God's, now here's Paul writing about Rome, where there was ready to be a persecutions, where they would find out, oh, you're a Christian? Good, we're going to use you, we're going to tie you to a stick in the backyard and light you on fire. This is the same government Paul is telling the Christians to yield to. Nero, Rome, a Caesar, a dictatorship, not a democracy, not a republic. And he's telling them this, putting it in context. Okay? And then he goes on to say, obey the authorities to avoid God's wrath. Christians yielding to God. And also for the sake of your own conscience. Whoa! That's a heavy call. Now let's put that in context. Most of us here are Americans, I'm assuming, or you're visiting for a long time. Okay? We're Christians in this country. Over our church doors, you're now entering the missions field. Does our governing authorities restrict the citizens from owning weapons? No. As a matter of fact, the founding fathers, which they were not all Christians, some of them were deists, they, they at least believed God did it, right? 
made sure it was the right and duty to keep the citizens armed because they know it's very easy for a government to become a tyranny because when they were writing this, they were just escaping the tyranny of England. And they said, if we don't keep the, the citizens armed, this will happen again. So they wrote it in there out of wisdom. So it's not the command of God. However, as Christians in America, we're not going against the governments by owning arms. As a matter of fact, this, the Second Amendment, says it's, the whole point is encouraging its citizens to a higher calling of responsibility. Right? <clears throat> Here's what it looks like. In case it's never been read before, the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia, first of all, that means not a government militia. That's what it means. Being necessary for the security of a free state from tyranny, from governments. And the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay? Now, that's not the Bible. But you're a Christian in America where it's not against the law. Okay, that's the only reason I'm showing to you. That's not the scripture. Now, of course, lethal, lethal self-defense versus pacifism. Uh, weapons is implied lethal. That's a simple one. All right, meaning it's dangerous. Um, now, I want to talk, to, this is, we're almost done. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because it matters. And maybe not to you, but to your kids, when they grow up, they're going to be experiencing this more. If you want to know what America is going to look like in 20 years, look at Germany and France. All right? That'll be America in 20 years in the city. Less than that, because we're speeding it up. But uh, I want you to know, God has an answer for these things from Scripture. If we're willing to, one, be responsible, and two, read it. Read the Scriptures. Now, this dude, this is a guy I picked on two weeks ago, John Piper, from his sermon, Do You Rejoice When Suffering? And I picked on the second half of it, but the first half gave me courage, gave me encouragement. And here's why. He was quoting from, uh, where is it? Ed Stetzer, the president of Lifeway Research, who did a Pew survey back in 2012. And the big idea is that... um, People are saying themselves they're not affiliated. There's a big increase of people saying, I'm not affiliated with any religion, and that's increasing. However, um, the concern is, is this, does this mean Christianity is dying in America? And uh, the, the, the numbers suggest that from 207 to 14, the numbers of evangelicals rose from 59 to 62 million. There's an increase in that, but no one's claiming religious affiliation. I'm just abbreviating everything. And the fact that Christianity isn't dying, and no research says it is, the statistics mean that there's no room for the middle ground. Less nominal mainstream American culture. So this is the better quote. The cultural cost, listen to this, of calling yourself Christian is starting to outweigh the cultural benefit. So those who do not identify as Christian according to their convictions are starting to identify as nons because it's culturally more savvy. Which means this, back in the day, believe it or not, it was, it was a, a good thing to be part of a local church, to be on the roll, oh yeah, so-and-so goes to such-and-such church. Nowadays it's bad. 
No one wants to say, I don't go to no church. I ain't no Christian. I, Jesus worship. I can worship God anywhere. Blah, blah, blah. Right? And matter of fact, it's bad to take a stand for Christianity, right? Go ahead online and promote God's version of sexual morality on your Facebook post and see how that gets you. Right? But here's a quote. Christianity is losing and will continue to lose its home field advantage, meaning the American culture. However, the numerical decline of self-identified American Christianity is more of a purifying or a bloodletting that is an arrow to the heart of the church. What this guy's saying is that real Christians are counting the cost. Real Christians are going to church. Real Christians are doing what it takes to love Jesus because they love Jesus. Because the culture ain't going to help you anymore. It's, 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 a, it's, you know, it's not popular to be a Christian because you're considered intolerant, you're considered closed-minded. But uh, we need to ask ourselves, do we love Jesus and will we obey our Lord Jesus? Are you coming to church because you love Jesus and He's commanded you to do so? And my fear is... <clears throat> now listen carefully to this. This is my heartfelt fear for Christians, is that here's the command out of Hebrews 10, 24-26. It's about fellowship. Protecting a time once a week to get together. Okay, If we think we can skip church or we have 101 reasons to miss church for long periods of time with this Scripture and feel comfortable with it, that's what I'm afraid of. It's okay, you know. I mean, we got two folks missing church this morning. They're still at the hospital. I got it, you know. Um, the working schedules, I got it, right? I understand that. But whenever possible, look at this command. Let us consider how to stir one another up for love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as some in the habit of, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day draw near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains any sacrifice for sins. In other words, yeah, Jesus, I know you commanded it, but I don't give a rip. That's the wrong answer for those who love Jesus. All right? So, for, you know, that if you don't go to this church and you're going to somewhere else's church, keep going. That's the big idea. Stay faithful. Get to a service at least once a week. Get to where the Christians are and grow in Christ. I like this one. I put this on Facebook. We don't miss work. We don't miss school. We can all say this together. We don't miss church. Why? Because Christians go to church. Alright? That's a way... All this comes together. All this comes together. Are you counting the cost to be a Christian where you are? That's the question that you need to answer. Do you love Jesus? Will you serve Jesus? Will you obey Jesus? Right? All right. Because... For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray.
Father, that was a long way around Robin Hood's barn. I pray and bless and ask that you bless these saints. And there are saints in this room who love you. I know these folks love you, Jesus. And the battle is real. And I pray that you protect these Christians and Papa, protect the college students as they're going back to school, and uh, protect the, the husbands and wives as they're going off to work and doing their jobs. And then, Father, help us to love our neighbors. Father, that's the hard part. And uh, I pray that you bless these saints and let them feel your love and uh, know what it means to obey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. From Bible's websites to theology, apps to blogs, there are so many fantastic resources for Christians. Get the latest news and reviews on what is out there to help you grow in Christ. The Speakin' Deacon.com. Truth is here.